Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Dirty Drinks. This is episode 16. How are you today, Rick? I'm doing great, Sarah, and yourself? Not too bad. I am a little bit chilly this morning. Fall is definitely here. Yeah, definitely. There was a frost this morning, and it was uh, definitely nippy. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a good time of the year. It's great to, 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 I love it when you can get outside, just have like a little sweatshirt on or something, and, and, and just enjoy the outdoors. Absolutely. Well, I am really excited for our guest today. We have Dr. Priya Nori from the East Coast. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here, especially during International Infection Prevention Week. Yes, it is. Yeah, this is great. We're, we're super excited to have you join us as well and, and, and appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. It's uh, truly my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of the show. You guys are doing great work and uh, the community appreciates you for sure. Well, thank you. That's, that's great to hear. You are on the East Coast. Um, just uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about where you're at and what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. So I am at the Montefiore Health System, um, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and we're located in the Bronx in New York City. And so um, the Bronx is basically everything everyone thinks it is. It is a lot of people in a small space. Uh, we have more than um, 1.3, 1.4 million residents that we care for in our health system. And we also extend up into Westchester County, the Hudson Valley. So for those who are not familiar with New York, these are kind of more of the suburban and also uh, rural areas of New York City, uh, of New York. And we take care of basically all, all of those folks. And we are a um, quaternary referral center and we do all, all the things, but we think that what we do well is bringing all the state of the art to a um, federally underserved, uh, socio socioeconomically disadvantaged area with a, a large vibrant immigrant population. And so, when it comes to stuff that we deal with every day, there's a lot of antibiotic resistance. There's a lot of just transmissible and infectious diseases. Um, of course, we, in the first American wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, we were kind of front and center, but, uh, you know, thankfully because of the lessons learned, things have not gotten quite so bad since that time because our, IP and stewardship tools have greatly improved since then. So that's that's kind of where I am and um, the environment and kind of what, what uh, we bring to the game. Specifically though, I'm a, a steward, an antibiotic steward. That's like my, my main gig. I also am an infectious diseases fellowship uh, program director. And then I do, of course, like all of us, we, I do a lot of crossover work in infection prevention. And I was uh, a part of a, a really wonderful team of people that um, helped take care of the hospital 
and the employees and, and all that during during all of this. Yeah, outstanding. That's that's great. Lots to talk about in that little opening vignette. Thank you. So how many uh, facilities do you guys have in your system? We have 12 facilities in our system and they're mostly so we have like our flagship medical center where all the guest magic happens. And then we have um, smaller hospitals that go up into about, um, you know, several counties outside of New York City. And those are smaller community hospitals where they'll have like, you know, one or two infectious diseases physicians, a couple of IPs, a couple of uh, pharmacists that may or may not be infectious diseases trained. And um, right now we're in the process of integrating everyone on Epic. Uh, so, you know, same formularies, same uh, systems within Epic to conduct disease surveillance, um, same, uh, you know, microbiologic testing principles. And so that's, that's kind of a big undertaking and it's, it's really exciting. And we, because we're considered the, the flagship location of the health system, we get to set the tone for, for all of that good stuff. Yeah, that's outstanding. So is everybody that works in the system then part of the system or do you have independent providers too that go to some of these community hospitals? Uh, so it's kind of a hybrid type uh, deal? Yeah, exactly. That describes it well. So at um, some of the, the hospitals that are further out, yeah, there's a big presence of voluntary staff and they have, they may or may not have um, house staff. They may be primarily uh, staffed by allied professionals. And so it's a whole mix of different kinds of learners and different providers. And you just have to, as you guys know, you have to kind of respect all of that stuff. That's great. Um, I am really curious. I am a small town Midwestern girl. So um, you know, you talking about being in the Bronx and, you know, population density and all of that stuff is just really fascinating to me. And I am curious how, uh, how you experienced the pandemic in the beginning. I know you said you were really front and center with uh, media and the like, but just being in that really heavy population area, you know, what was that like for you? Um, you know, that's such a good question, Sarah, because I don't think I really know anything different from that. I spent basically all my training here in, in a, this environment or similar. And so we don't know what a um, maybe a slower pace or a lower volume on the dial necessarily feels like. Uh, there was, I think for a lot of us, no matter where we were in the country, there was probably just a lot of chaos in the beginning, a lot of randomness. Um, probably you would agree that you never quite knew where you would be like deployed to from one day to the next. It could have been a testing tent. It could have been the ER to try to help with their um, structural uh, changes. It could have been, um, you know, on the phone trying to obtain uh, compassionate use, something or other. Uh, so there was a lot of that randomness until things settled down and it kind of became more clear. All right, you're doing this. You got that one. So I'm going to do this. And then the other guy is going to do something else altogether. And then we'll check in on a regular basis and make sure all these parts are moving, moving well. 
Um, and I credit my division chief. Um, her name is uh, Lisa Onprofsky. She's a basic scientist and um, immunologist. Uh, she is the one who is like, all right, guys, what are you doing? There's so much redundancy. There's a lot of overlap. How about this? You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do the other. And we're going to just make sure that we're all on the same page all the time. And then that really, um, that kind of executive level of oversight really helped us a lot to understand that not only that um, there's enough to go around in terms of work to be done, but also that we all felt like we had our place in this and that we all felt uh, valued and had an understanding of what, what other people were doing so that we weren't necessarily duplicating that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with you guys being at the forefront there, the world was obviously paying really close attention to what you guys were doing. You guys were literally, you know, building the plane in the air because we didn't know how this was really spread. We didn't know what to do, how to protect everybody. Um, you know, we had a little bit of a break because we didn't really have our peak here until last winter when, uh, but, you know, a lot more was known at that point in time. Uh, you know, we even had vaccines coming out in December, you know, and we were peaking in November, December, January. So it was a different thing for you guys when it was all novel and new. So we certainly applaud everybody that was working so hard on, on that there. Um, did, how did you, one of the things that, that we wrote an article on and that I think a lot of people discussed was just the, the fear and the mental aspect of, of this part, because there was a lot of things that we didn't know. And I'm sure that it was something that you had to deal with daily. That um, there's so much wrapped up in that question. It's a fabulous question. Um, we had a few tools to work with, but not a lot everywhere. So there was always a first place. We were relying heavily on what physicians were saying out of Washington State or, you know, Italy or Wuhan, and we would um, we would be all over these online networks and these like um, emerging infections network and, and places like that to really try to get at the information and try to understand what it was that we were seeing before our eyes. So there were there's pros and cons to when there are lots of tools compared to when there are no tools. I feel like um, when there's very little to work with, you're just kind of taking a kitchen sink approach. And also you, you don't, um, nobody's watching or judging per se. You're just all trying to just save the patient and save each other. Uh, but then while other parts of the country saw things at a different time point, everyone got slammed. So nobody is more special per se than, than the next guy. We used to, we had, you know, for a couple months, New York City, certainly everyone was crying for us and whatever. And we had those, the, the, the clanging of pots in the street, but I can't even tell you how quickly that went away. Um, and uh, everyone got hit. So we eventually were all in the same boat, every single state, every county, we were all going through it together. And sometimes when you have the tools and when you know that tocilizumab is for this guy who's early, but is very sick, but doesn't have all these other um, things going on. Okay, that's great NIH, but what about when you can't get tocilizumab and no hospital in the United States can get it. And so that sameness, that, that regardless of what geographic location, we were, um, that really, that was cool. I think it, it was unfortunate, but it was great that 
everybody doing the, the kind of work that we do, whether infectious diseases, occupational health, ER, medicine, we all got each other in a way that I think no one else, not even our own families really understood. Um, and then the other thing that like, I feel and my colleagues feel extremely fortunate about is that I do have the freedom to say what I think about things and say that there are evidence-based proven public health measures and I stand behind them 100% and not feel like my life is at risk or that um, I'm gonna get attacked or that my children are gonna get attacked. And it's just so heartbreaking that our people in other states, other parts of the country are met with such a rabid, just hatred for doing the right thing. And um, they are exercising a degree of courage that is really uh, so commendable and heroic. And that has not been our experience in New York City because, you know, thankfully we it you can just say whatever you want, <laughs> and often there's um, if you're if you're saying what you're saying in the name of public health and patient safety, then people will have your back. And I wish it were like that everywhere, but it's not. Yeah, thank you. That's a great answer and a lot, lot in there. But one of the things that you mentioned, something that's very 2021, and it's the same technology that allows us to talk today and have this podcast and everything else, is the you know emerging uh, network and all the stuff that's been put on the internet before it's been peer reviewed. And you're so you're in the midst of this. You guys really don't know what's real and what's not real and what works and what doesn't work. And so you said you're scouring the internet looking for clues from other places, but you have no idea what, if anything that's being written is valid because it hasn't had the opportunity for peer review. So how do you sort through that? That's got to be just add to the confusion with this whole thing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. Don't get me wrong. We, lots of our colleagues in this geographic re uh, region, um, we did uh, a number of things in the first wave that we thankfully did not replicate our later waves, which are that, you know, in the beginning, um, we threw a lot of antibiotics at people. Boy, did we use a lot of antibiotics and our, um, you know, antibiotic use curves are, were just out of control during that period of time. And it was actually well outside of what would have been expected for the number of patients that were in the hospital. And as a steward, that is certainly something that I had to reckon with that our whole team had to, um, that's kind of like a blemish on our permanent record. But this is because we had no idea what this illness was or it looked identical to bacterial sepsis. And um, later on, we were seeing lots of these HAIs happen. And I think lots of other hospitals saw them as well. And so there, there was a lot of that. There were uh, lots of lessons from that experience that we were thankfully able to um, apply later on. And then, you know, we definitely went down the hydroxychloroquine rabbit hole at some point. Um, we we were drawing at straws, you know, like it was just desperate. And, um, but, you know, thankfully we, as quickly as we drew from those things to try to help people, we, we also undid those things as, as evidence came out saying that those things were absolutely not, not the way to go. 
And then, you know, subsequently we were in a position where we could really take a step back and say, all right, here's what we know works. Here's what might work, but let's make sure that we have really weighed all the evidence about that particular drug before we decide that it's right in this, in this setting. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, you know, during that period when you were like, you know, you said drawing at straws, trying to find things that were effective. Did you get a lot of pushback from your patients or the public? Because, uh, you know, I know how media can explode those things and, um, you know, going with one treatment and then pulling it back. What did that have an, uh, an impact on what was going on? Um, you know, thankfully not at that point, because at, so we're talking now, uh, March through about May, June of 2020, things were not nearly as polarized as they are now. Um, that was a point in time where for a brief minute, everyone was on the same page about how scary the illness is, all the unknowns and what actually works and what didn't. That was a period of time when much of the country was locked down. And so everyone was closely watching what was happening on the East Coast, but there wasn't quite the same divisiveness that subsequently developed. And so we didn't um, really experience some of that uh, pressure from patients or the media or those types of things um, until our first wave was, um, was, was over. That makes so sense. we were able to just kind of focus on the task at hand during those days. It's hard to imagine it. It seems at this, it seems like only yesterday, but it also seems like so long ago and that 20 years have been compressed into, into two years. So it's, it's almost like, did that actually happen? Did I make that up? It's, it's really strange. It's very surreal. We're all having a, a group hallucination, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It goes back to our last talk. Maybe they were not the good mushrooms and that's Maybe what's going not. on. Maybe, Maybe. not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we could talk about COVID and your experience all day. I'm sure that it was was very surreal. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we've, uh, and you guys have been able to get through those peaks and, and things are maybe seem to be settling down on a national basis. We still have some fires at various locations and I suspect we'll probably have that for the next few months as we work to get more people vaccinated. But, um, but yeah, thanks for sharing all that with us. That was, uh, I'm sure a very trying and difficult time. Yeah, it's obvious you're very passionate about what you do. And um, it, at the root of every passionate person, there is a beginning journey, right? So I'm curious how you got into medicine and um, decided to go into ID and antibiotic stewardship. Uh, sure. Um, so I am like many of my uh, heritage, my patient, my parents, my patients, oh my God, uh, my parents are South Asian, they're Indian. And there's just like sort of this expectation to do something in a STEM field. Uh, they're both physicians. And so I kind of knew that early on, but I'd like to think that it was a, a genuine um, in that I just knew that I, I just had to help people in some way. I just really wanted to do that. Uh, where we started to diverge is what I chose ultimately to do, which is infectious diseases. The uh, people, my family was not necessarily on board with that for a couple of reasons. 
they didn't really understand what it was or what it is that we do. Of course, they do now. And then, you know, I got to say the the thing that's always front and center in that conversation is you guys don't make any money like you. you why don't you do? <laughs> why don't you? I think my mother said, oh, you know, my friend's daughter um, set up a Botox clinic and she's making lots of why don't you do that? Her <laughs> mother is like, why did they do that? Anyway, so um, I said, you know what? I just, this is so cool to me, microbiology and everything that goes along with it is very, very cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to do ID fellowship. And then I was very undifferentiated when I came here to Einstein for ID fellowship. I didn't really know beyond that what I wanted. Um, I was a product of like the, still when HIV was raging pretty badly out of control, especially in the Bronx. And so much of my residency was spent taking care of patients with advanced OIs. And so I said, I want to be an HIV provider. Um, And then I got to fellowship and I met this woman, this like firecracker. She even has red hair. (laughs) Name is uh, Belinda Ostrowski. Um, She's like, she's well-known, well-established in, in epidemiology and stewardship. And uh, she's like this very fast talking, fast paced New Yorker, wicked accent. It's awesome. Um, And she spoke so passionately about stewardship and, and resistance and um, outbreaks and things. And I said, I just want to work with her. I just want to be with her. I want to absorb everything that she does. And uh, that's it. I was sold. And then I ultimately got to actually kind of take over for her as she transitioned from academics back into public health. So she works now uh, at the CDC again. She started her career there and then kind of came full circle. And she's in the division that basically deals with uh, antibiotic resistance. And she is in New York City. She works in downtown Manhattan. Um, She works closely with the state health department, the city health department, and a lot in long-term care because that's where we see a lot of the uh, very, very extensively drug resistant bacteria and, and fungi. And so thankfully we are still very much in touch. We talk basically every week or so we are still collaborators. And, um, so I credit her with really inspiring me and several, uh, I'm not the only one. There's at least like five of us that she touched in some way and inspired to do, to do this work. So that's kind of my, my story of how I got, how I got here. That's awesome. So where did you, where did you grow up? You said you've been urban pretty much your whole life. Were you in New York city area growing up and everything? So I grew up in a suburb just outside of New York city in, in Westchester County. And I've been in somewhere in the city, basically as a medical resident onward. So my husband is also a physician and he works kind of a little bit downtown and I work uptown. So we are kind of right in the middle. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Terrific. So you haven't strayed too far at all then? No, no, I haven't, but I, I do, I do regret that. I do encourage trainees, uh, med students, residents, uh, really anyone in their formative years to try different things. Like I think it's really important to see other health systems, to work at other places and see how, how things are done. And don't assume that there's only one way or that the way that you've the system that you've come up in is necessarily ideal. 
I think the best case scenario is taking elements from everywhere you've been and making like the best version of yourself. And then, you know, now it's unfortunately too late for me in that my, I have kids and my husband's established and it would be very difficult to up and go somewhere else now. But um, that's why when you are relatively detached, I guess uh, it's a great time to explore other places and, and other ways of doing things. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It's always difficult to kind of leave the nest or leave where your comfort level is. But I think that really helps you grow as a person and then ultimately as a provider and, and everything else, because you're right, they're the different cultures at different places. I've had been fortunate to work in different cities and, and everything else. And the cultures are just tremendously different, not right or wrong, just different. Um, and, and you do bring that all together to what you have to offer. So I think that's great advice. Yeah, highly, I highly recommend. I just uh, was interviewing a med student from Los Angeles or a prospective med student just, just before this. And um, I said to her, you know, your whole family's in Los Angeles and how, what's that going to be like to potentially move to, to New York? And uh, these young people, they have great attitudes about this stuff. She said, this is the only time in my life I'm going to get to experience something like that. So I'm all about it. The further, the better. And uh, I thought that was really cool. Hats off to her. That is awesome. Young people out there who are, you know, exploring new things and hopefully they settle on infectious diseases. That would be, would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you had kids. What do your kids think about what you do? Yeah, my kids are nine and seven. I have two daughters. They're in the New York City public school system. Um, and they are so psyched to get the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Both because I've been just talking about it nonstop and that they, they do understand the gravity of this illness. Uh, just being around it, I guess, a lot and hearing me talk and hearing me speak with patients and, and just lots of things. Um, they're very immersed in it. And so they, uh, they're really terrific public health citizens. They do their mask thing. They, um, they're very good with hand hygiene. Well, you know, as, as much as possible. And uh, they're so pumped for that vaccine. They're going to be the first kids in line. Um, because they they are were, are able to weigh the safety aspects and the unknowns and, and the and do that calculus, which is it's potentially either being alive or not being alive. And I'm so glad that they that they get that. I don't think they're going to end up doing what I do. Sadly, I think they have <laughs> ads, but I'm glad that they get it and they certainly appreciate what it is that me and my colleagues are doing for for other people. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Are, they, are they excited to get out of masks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they, yes, they, they, certainly, they certainly are, although they're making the most of it. Um, they have like every color mask under the sun. They come to, you know, little girls, they love the accessories and, and all of that. And so it's become another thing like earrings or necklace. It's like the wait, no, like we're at the elevator and school is in 30 seconds. And they're like, wait, no, I got to get the other mask because it matches better with my shoes, whatever is the case. So they're making the most of it. And, um, you know, New York City, the I can only speak for the public uh, school system, but they're doing a, a fantastic job in terms of 
um, their safety measures and enforcement of, of those things. It's, it's really been great. It's very reassuring as a parent. So it's good to hear. It's yeah. amazing how much kids pick up on during these things. You know, we, we tend to think that they're a little bit sheltered and they don't necessarily know what's going on. But like you said, your kids are, they've weighed those risks. They're ready to get the vaccine. Um, my son was the same way. He was like first in line to get it when it was approved for for the older kids. So great. Yeah. It's, it's so great that they get it. I mean, the, this whole generation of kids has had to grow up so incredibly fast and they've, um, you know, they've done a, a great job. It's remarkable. We feel kind of reassured that these are the people that are going to inherit all this, all this garbage that we're handing off. <laughs> that yeah. is so true. So true. So um, one of the things that you said you're very passionate about is stewardship. And obviously that's a, a, a very important part of what many infectious disease doctors do. What is stewardship to you and why do you view it as important? That's such a good question. I don't know that I've been asked that in some time. Stewardship to me is protecting very vital resources. And so it can come in many different forms, but in our case, it's antimicrobials. And so knowing that there are really terrible bugs out there and that there are not infinite treatments for those, there's only maybe a handful of things that will actually defeat those bugs. Um, we have to make sure that the right person is getting those in the right way for the right amount of time and the right dose and all the particulars tailored to that individual and that um, they're not abused and that they're not um, causing more harm than good. Uh, the fortunate or unfortunate thing is that anyone can prescribe antibiotics with certain credentials and they may not necessarily have all the tools to do so. So it's up to people like me and my colleagues to make sure that they have all the information and feel very comfortable prescribing these things. And if they don't, that they know that, all right, this is the team to call if I have a question about this and they're gonna help me just to kind of custom fit that treatment to that, to that patient. Um, I read an article recently about dispensing of antibiotics in low and middle income countries by non-clinical people whatsoever. And so that is just astounding. The fact that um, up to 40% of antibiotics dispensed in certain places are completely not by any kind of healthcare provider. And so that is what we're up against. We have to, you know, really, when we think about stewardship, we have to think outside of necessarily the, our hospital or our community, but really places all, all over the world. That's a huge task. Yeah, certainly recent events have definitely demonstrated that it's a, we have to look globally. We can't just look on a small scale because, uh, you know, maybe the world was more small scale if you go back 30, 40 years, but not this century. It's certainly we need to look more globally at everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that started in, uh, I don't know, India, right? quickly became the predominating thing um, all over the world. And it was a game changer in terms of how we think about vaccines and transmission and, and all of that. I mean, wow. 
that uh, was, I think, the perfect example of globalization. Yeah. All that, right. Go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. I was just going to say that that whole globalization thing, especially with you know COVID happening so quickly, I think was an eye opener for a lot of people. Oh God, yeah. I remember, um, I remember sitting on the couch talking to one of my really good friends, like when we were first getting news reports of, you know, this new virus and it, it's spreading like all, you know, and, and they're like, it's never going to get here. And I'm like, we just played the board game pandemic. This is exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. It will be here. And, you know, a month later it was in Washington and he's like, oh my God, you were right. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. <laughs> all too real it is yeah all right so you're living in new york city which is one of my favorite cities to visit there's a there's That's so cool. much going on so how, what is that i mean what do you do i mean there's everything's at your fingertips you could do anything almost any time there's always something going on right so what what's it really like that i, I assume you're just used to it it's normal for you because you've lived your whole life in the area but for us from you know omaha nebraska where it's not quite the same uh, uh what do you think of this well just before i was talking to you guys i was at the met gala and i talked to rihanna about antibiotic resistance <laughs> i'm sure she was was thrilled to talk about it i i can't imagine is she gonna write her next song about it or something i guarantee if we got her on board it would be done like <laughs> everything would be fixed because that's how many followers she has so uh i wish it were more exciting you you make it seem so cool but it is i think for people like us, uh, small kids, all of those things, it, we probably have very, very identical lives, which are like rushing to get out of the house in the morning and all their stuff, right? Like all their activities and, and whatever going on for school and after school and work. And it's, it's probably so boring and so similar to anywhere, anyone anywhere in the country. I think the coolest thing about me lately is my job more so than where where we happen to live of course like you know new york city to some extent did did shut down like lots of other places only now are things coming back so it was supposed to be like the summer of the city and then the delta wave hit so that it, it was the summer of the city for like two weeks and then things kind of went underground again and now they're they're uh, waking back up and thankfully things have been relatively controlled here and uh, we're doing a reasonably good good job with vaccinations and such. Um, Broadway is just starting to open back up and, and all of those things and certainly as soon as our kids get their shots, we're fully planning to do to do all of that stuff. I think the coolest, the, probably the most like New Yorky thing that I do is uh, I do on, um, depending on where I'm going, I do commute into work using the, the subway, um, which, you know, is probably an infection control uh, <laughs> nightmare in and of itself. Although MTA has done a great job with COVID because they mandate masks and all that. It's really more of the <laughs> the contact transmissions that are probably of more concern there. Um, and then the other thing that we do that's kind of New York is we eat pizza like at least three or four times a week because 
that's kids number one thing to eat and then um you know, besides that, I, there's, there's not a whole lot. Um, a lot of my colleagues and my patients have these like really cool, pretty awesome accents. It's fun to listen to. Um, and then there's just a unspoken feeling and like a, a vibe of, of being in New York and working in New York, which just has to do with the, I guess the volume and the fast pace. But besides that, I can guarantee you're definitely not going to the Met Gala. <laughs> I'm lucky to even know what the Met Gala is or when it happened. Um, but otherwise I think I probably have lots more in common with colleagues in different parts of the country than I have like with my own neighbors. Um, the other day was just kind of kind of cool because we live in an apartment building. The neighbor's cat just ran up into our house, and it was the most fun thing in the world for um, for my kids. My mother in law was flipping out. <laughs> that was a little situation. It took some time to chase her out, but you know that probably was a function of the just proximity and people living on top of each other and stuff. But. That's really it. It's the subway, neighbor's weird cat, and pizza are the top three, I guess. I'm sure your pizza is a lot better than what we have here. <laughs> it is good. It is good. We, we definitely take, we probably take that for granted. And it's very cheap. It's like a couple bucks a slice. And it's guaranteed. It's like anywhere you go in the city, you, you can always get a good slice. And for for very cheap and um, we call them slices. We don't, it, that concept of like getting the whole pie and all that is a little little foreign to us. And you, we taught our kids recently because it's a much more efficient way to eat it, to fold it in half. Um, and then and then you can, you have a better grip on it. And uh, that's really the way to, to eat it in my opinion. <laughs> really no New, New York eating of pizza. We're gonna have to have a, a whole <laughs> webinar on that, I think. But thanks for picking up on my question. I think at the end of the day, you know, despite where we live and, and everything else, we're all pretty much the same. And so Definitely. hopefully we can all come together again and, and as a country and, and realize that. So I certainly hope that's the case, but I do love to visit your city. It's a lot of fun, but I, of course I don't have to work there and live there and have seven and nine-year-old kids that I have to get to school when I'm there. So that's a whole different story. Please do come. It is a great time of year. Uh, the weather is still pretty good. Um, it is like today is about 60 degrees. Fall is a beautiful time in the city. And like I said, things are opening back up again, like the, the cultural scene. And of course the restaurants are great. All you need is your vaccine card or whatever to show that you can indoor dine. And this is a, this is a wonderful time for a visit if you are, uh, if you have the awesome. time. Yeah, I think we're getting we a few another, places on yeah. our list. We need a we need a budget for travel. So who can we talk to about that, Sarah? Who do you think? I, uh, I don't know. I might have to reach out to some people and I've never been to New York City. So oh, it wow. could be a really fun adventure. Oh, you'd love it. I mean, it just there's something for everyone, for sure. If you are a Harry Potter fan, you know, there's a show, there's a, uh, the Cursed Child is happening. There's like Mean Girls on Broadway now. There's, um, there's just like so much stuff happening. The comedy scene is back and the New York City Ballet opened up and lots and lots of things. Yeah, last time we were there, we went to Wicked. So it was probably about a decade ago, I think. So that was, that was awesome. You know, Wicked is one of the best-selling um, musicals of all time. So they're bringing it back. 
Oh yeah. It was so good. It was so good. And it's just so cool to go to a show on Broadway. You know, it's just, I mean, we have, you know, shows that wrote come through here, you know, and whatnot, but it's just not quite the same. I think. No, you might notice I have a Hamilton poster framed yeah. on my wall there. That's my husband's. That was his birthday gift. He loved it so much. He saw it four times. Wow. wow. Yeah. I thought that was, that was a bit much, but uh, <laughs> that's another, like a must-see. It's a definite bucket list type of show is, is Hamilton. Whether you're into American history or hip-hop music or any of it, you will enjoy that show. It's phenomenal. It's a must-see. Very cool. Yeah. Um, are you reading or binge-watching anything right now? Oh, my God, so many things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> reading, you know, that's so funny you should say about reading. We had, um, I was talking with a couple colleagues recently. I have not really picked up a book, uh, a fiction or, or a biography or anything like that in these two years. And this is because my mind is not there. I'm not able to get into it in the same way I would have before the pandemic. And I find that really it's all the reading I do is pertaining to something having to do with the pandemic and sounds terribly boring, but there's actually lots and lots of interesting things that have come out of this, like the whole vaccine equity thing. And like, um, there's, there's lots of interesting conversations with, within this whole larger conversation. However, I am definitely binging lots of shows that have nothing to do with the pandemic and, um, one is, uh, so it definitely, my husband and I watched all of Ted Lasso. And oh, like, yeah. Again. It's so good. It's so, so good. good. Of the century. <laughs> oh, and he's hosting SNL, I think, right? This weekend. Oh, uh, really? Is he? Yeah. Is he doing it as Ted Lasso or as himself? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so there's that. And then I, you know, I can't watch squid game. I don't, it's, it's probably too dark for me. I don't, I don't think I could go there, but this Hulu show that uh, we watch um, is called murders only in the building. Yeah. And we're watching it, that too. It's so good. Oh, it's man. so good. It is so good. I love that comedy duo of Martin short and Steve Martin. I've always I've loved them forever. I actually watched uh, Steve Martin's masterclass on how to do comedy. It didn't help me because I'm still not doing it. <laughs> not getting paid off of doing it uh but that show is so good it is so good it is really good that's that that show is really well done and it's coming back for another season i think isn't it yeah i heard it got picked up which is i wonder how they're gonna do that they're gonna have to have a whole new whole new thing but yeah it was a great it was it was great yeah what about you guys are you you have any recommendations um, I'm watching the same things that you're watching for the most part. I mean, uh, I've been, we've also been watching the morning show, um, yeah, which is also uh, pretty well done. Uh, so uh, I, I, I like it better when they're on Netflix, uh, just because I hate the having to wait a week. <laughs> I've gotten so used to just the whole season dumping that it's like, now I have to wait. And, you know, come Friday night, you know, since we have exciting lives too, you know, we're like, well, let's watch, uh, you know, both of the shows, Ted Lasso and uh, Morning Show were coming out on Friday. So we'd, we'd watch them both. <laughs> That's great. Friday's the big day. The best night in our house is when the kids just put themselves to sleep and that there's enough time left in the night where we could watch all of our shows. Yeah. That's like our perfect uh, evening. 
I think that's a perfect evening for any parent ever. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Just let me watch my show, please. Let you watch your shows. They'll grow up and you'll miss them being home. It happens. Yeah, probably. So if you ventured, like if you go on a vacation or anything, where, where do you go? Do you leave the area? I mean, uh, you know, we take vacations and we go to like New York City or, you know, someplace like that. But uh, what about you guys? So um, we there's so much we haven't done even just here. Like we're there's lots that we um, still need to do, even even just uh, around around town here. Uh, parts of New York are actually gorgeous. Upstate New York. Um, and then New England is gorgeous, uh, but where we, our family has not, as a family, has not been back to India for some time. My parents actually recently went uh, with with my blessing. I guess they basically got their booster shots, and then I was like, "All right, go right now, <laughs> <laughs> and don't stay more than two weeks." Uh, that and that worked out fine. Thankfully, they both. Um, we're fine. They didn't get sick. Nothing happened. Uh, but it was also very weird. My, my mother said it was like a ghost town. Mm-hmm. And she said the airports were empty and it just had a whole different feel to it. And I think sadly, this is because they probably lost a good deal of their population to, to the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yours was a happy question. So you're asking me where we go. I really have my eyes on, uh, I want to go someplace tropical, of course, mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. next vacation, because it's going to be freezing here. And I'd love to, to just go to the beach or something really anywhere. I'm not, uh, I'm not picky. Just <laughs> Yeah. When we travel, we always see a bunch of people from Canada and the Northeast. So, uh, you know, uh, my wife loves the beach. And so that, you know, whenever she wants to travel, it's always to a beach. So we always run into, uh, people from those, those areas, which is great, but you guys are, you guys have direct flights anywhere in the world. So you could be anywhere on the planet in a matter of hours. So, which is, which is tremendous. Cause we have to stop somewhere. Sometimes we have to spend a night somewhere. So it just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, given all that, we still don't do it nearly enough. Like we fully acknowledge the various little advantages, but okay, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Or when I finally do that thing, I suppose it'll be a step easier, but (laughs) for now I'm going to sit on my couch and wait for Ted Lasso to drop. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad plan either. Right. Definitely not. What about you, Sarah? Where's your next great adventure? Oh my gosh. Um, my next great adventure, I have um, a big investigation in January at a paranormal location in Ohio. Did you know so, that about her? She's a paranormal investigator. So she goes around and, and, and does that. She's promised us a tour when uh, things get opened up. So we're just waiting. That sounds that sounds a hundred times cooler than anything <laughs> I could do right here. It, that is amazing. It's so much fun. I love, I love it. More about that. That is like so freaking cool. Yeah. You guys probably have some haunted areas of like Bellevue Hospital or something in New York, I would assume. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. There's an island. Um, I guess, what is it? It's So there's an island kind of like right, this long skinny one right in between Manhattan and Queens that used to be a TB, uh, a TB like long-term care <laughs> facility. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was like a prison for people with TB. And it has not been used in many, many years. And it looks haunted 
AF and it's so cool looking. They actually light it up during Halloween and stuff and it, it looks really, really cool. That's awesome. There you go, Sarah. That's a trip to, to New York right yeah. there. Yep. There you go. You get in there, take some photos, right. really creepy photos and go ghost hunting. Is this your favorite time of year? Halloween? It is. Yes. I'm right now is like, this is my happy time. Everything's all weird and creepy mm -hmm. and Oh, that's the best. I love that stuff yeah. too. I just, um, Halloween's definitely my favorite holiday for sure. For sure. Yeah. Do you have, um, like a whole costume and all that lined up? I don't, you know, I, I've never gotten much into like dressing up. I'm more of a, um, I'm like a people watcher kind of mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So my kids will dress up and we'll go trick or treating. And, um, I've got a local investigation here that I'm helping with. So it'll be fun. So we have outbreak investigations and then we have paranormal investigations all in one podcast. We do. That's fabulous. <laughs> cool. Oh, well, thank you for joining us. Did you have any other questions for us or anything that we didn't cover that you would like to let people know? Um, you know, not, not really. You guys covered everything, but if I could just reiterate that what we do is so cool so rewarding you're helping so many people and what better time to think about a career in this area than international infection prevention week and also just want to thank all the people doing ip work all over the world and uh everyone sees you um i think whether or not that means that we'll all become millionaires i doubt it but certainly i think the appreciation and the love is at an all-time high hope I hope that continues yeah well and I, think, said. I think you said something before we started recording um you know we need all the people we need everybody we will never have enough so if this is something that you're interested in we would love to have you definitely there's plenty to do and the boat is big enough for everyone for absolutely sure. well thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it Yes. Uh, thank you so much. This is super, super fun. Great way to go into the weekend. And I wish you both all the best. I hope you get through the next couple months in one piece and uh, the best to your, your families. And um, also, uh, please send my regards to your um, the ID division there at Nebraska. Yeah, will do. Thank you so much. And when we finally make it as a dirty drinks in uh, to uh, New York City area, we will look oh, you up and, and, and meet you for meet you for an actual dirty drink. Oh, yeah, would that that would be dope. I really am holding you guys to it. And it's uh, being recorded. So there's no backing up. It's forever right. now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you for the time, awesome, guys. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks for joining us for this episode of Dirty Drinks, and we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoyed this content, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to be a part of the conversation by following us at dirty underscore drinks on Twitter. If you would like to share your story, reach out to us through Twitter to become a guest on future episodes. We would love to meet you. Have a great week and make sure to get your fill of dirty drinks.